Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I'm sorry I wasn't here Friday, utterly unexpected. Turns out I have COVID again. You can probably hear it over the microphone. And I got quite sick Friday afternoon, so I had to bow out. Who sat in for me, Mr. Producer? Brian Mudd, who's wonderful. He came in at the last minute. I want to thank Brian. And I've been duking this out all weekend. But... uh, We have a a system set up here. It's really a portable system uh, where I can do this show from pretty much anywhere. So that's what I'm doing right now. You can sound, I I guess I sound a little bit like Phyllis Diller, but that's not my intention, of course. Uh, I'll be fine. I'm just uh, basically not going anywhere. Hanging out in two rooms, and that's the way that goes. So... uh, That said, I have been posting things. I write these things up, send them to Mr. Producer, Mr. Call Screener. These guys have been posting away all weekend. Here's the thing. There's several narratives out there that I just don't accept, including from a number of friends of mine, colleagues of mine. We're not angry with each other. We're not fighting with each other. Britt Hume and Mark Thiessen over at Twitter... They're looking at the numbers. They're big, uh, let's just be honest, McConnell proponents. Um, and I saw this in the uh, Tea Party, 2010. I saw it when Ted Cruz was taking on McConnell, how they all attacked Ted Cruz. My problems with McConnell, which I'll get to in a minute, go much deeper than even, than even this last election. He is a very poor leader. Now, they can point the judges all they want. Joe Biden is kicking our ass on judges right now just slaughtering us we're not filibustering their judges he's actually beating now the rate of 
judicial appointments that Trump had and Reagan had. And so that is bad news. I also don't like the way Mitch McConnell uses his campaign funds, yes, to help other candidates, but also to go after candidates. You don't know that bulldog in New Hampshire, the people in New Hampshire know, uh, faced $4.5 million worth of ads in the Republican primary, smearing him. And that money was uh, coming from the Senate Leadership Fund, which was McConnell. He raises this money from very wealthy Republican donors and then does with it as he wishes. And the guy he uses at that fund is a, name, a guy by the name of Steve Law. Stephen Law, who used to work, I believe, at the Chamber of Commerce. But McConnell didn't have an agenda, as I will demonstrate. We mentioned that almost a year ago. He doesn't have an agenda. There's no legislative agenda. It's hard to win big elections that way. He trashed the Tea Party in 2010 and blamed them for bad candidates and a lack of victories. He's uh, busy, as is his media and surrogates, trashing Trump. That's why we lost this election and so forth. And it's not that simple. It's not that simple. And same with the House. Jim Jordan will be on here in less than an hour. I look at the House. I pull back. I look at the House, put personalities aside. I even put the McConnell personalities. Well, what's the problem? He's the, he's the problem. He doesn't want any younger senators or senators with more uh, relevant ideas or more conservative, cutting-edge ideas to have any power. And he's been there 15 years, and what have we accomplished, really? We're losing the country. I look at a guy like... Uh, Kevin McCarthy. I don't view McCarthy as I view McConnell. They're two different people. McConnell's been in the minority. Hasn't been uh, leading the Republicans. Paul Ryan led the Republicans. So he's really not had an opportunity to exercise his power. And you'll say, what about this election? Man raised almost half a billion dollars. I know McConnell raised about $200 million, but he raised almost half a billion dollars. He wasn't going after candidates in the general election, picking and choosing and cherry-picking. They were throwing money everywhere they could to try and get people elected. And I want to talk more about some of these people who are challenging him. I am not a special pleader for Kevin McCarthy. I just am curious to see how they're going to get a majority uh, in support of any Republican... If not him, who? If not him, who? I even wrote, you know, I get contacted constantly. I was today from a number of my friends at the, uh, uh, what do they call the group? COVID, the Freedom Group in there, including Ch- Freedom Caucus, several of them. And I said, who do you have? They don't have anybody. I said, I thought Biggs. I'm sorry to say this. A lot of them said, most people don't like Biggs. I said, well, I've had the deal with Biggs myself in Arizona, which I'll get to in a minute, and he was no conservative. So my view is McCarthy needs to embrace the conservatives, as he has several, like Jim Jordan. He would be chairman of the uh, Judiciary Committee. Marjorie Taylor Green, is it? He's got more tolerance for her than I do who's 
campaigning for him effectively. Donald Trump making calls on his behalf. I'm not making calls to anybody. I'm just speaking out loud to you. I see a distinct difference between McConnell, who is affirmatively anti-movement conservative, and Kevin McCarthy, who's right of center, who has to figure out how to build a working majority. One uses an iron fist and is very, in my view, kind of sleazy in the way he operates. That's McConnell. And Kevin McCarthy kind of wears it all on his sleeve. But I'll, but I'll make the distinctions better in a moment. I want to read something to you. Then I think some of this will make a little more sense. First of all, Ron Johnson and Hawley and Rubio and Graham and Cruz and Lee and Scott and Loomis. That's eight United States senators so far by my count have asked Mitch McConnell to put off this vote for leader because Herschel Walker is running and we don't have a senator chosen yet from Alaska because in Alaska, which we'll get to in a minute, we've talked about before, the fact of the matter is that Mitch McConnell tried to defeat one Republican, a conservative, that was backed by the Republican Party of Alaska in order to elect his friend Lisa Murkowski. This is outrageous. And the fact that he spent money in the Republican primary in New Hampshire and did grave damage to General Bolduc, a hero, a patriot, it's outrageous. The fact that he didn't lift a finger and give one cent to Blake Masters. Now, the answer for the the McConnell crowd is always the same thing. Well, how much did Trump spend? Trump is an ex-president. This guy is the leader of the Republican Party, whether you like it or not, effectively, in the United States Senate. He's the one with a quarter of a billion dollars. Okay, ex-presidents, where the hell was George W. Bush? He wasn't anywhere. Why didn't he help? Dick Cheney can't even show his face anywhere right now. Where was Chris Christie, who's all over the place now, commenting? Or Larry Hogan, another fraud. Where were these guys? Nowhere. Nowhere. The problem is the current leadership in the Senate. And McConnell decided to run on nothing. Rick Scott's right. I pointed this out before, as a matter of fact, Mr. Producer. We have a couple of clips on that. I think we do. You still with me, Mr. Producer? Let's listen. Let me see here, folks. I got we've got so many clips here. Uh, let's see. Go ahead. Cut eight. Go. Mitch McConnell is, if not the longest, one of the longest serving Republican leaders in the Senate, which is a remarkable thing because he's not bright. He's not articulate, and he's unprincipled. Well, maybe that's the way it's supposed to be, huh? Sure looks that way. And he's so compelling, all the other Republicans vote for him to be their leader. Now, what it is, he's like a mob boss. He threatens them to withhold money from them. He's figured out how to do it, and he's been doing it a long, long time. And he doesn't lay out an agenda for the Republicans in the Senate. I dare anybody to tell us what the Mitch McConnell the putative leader of the Republics in the Senate, what his agenda is. You won't know because he hasn't told anybody. 
That's February 23, 2022. We have other clips. I'm not going to bore you with all of them, which I said uh, a few months back when he was specifically asked by a reporter, what is the agenda, the legislative agenda we're running on? Bipartisanship. Remember how I mocked him? He had no substantive agenda. None. Zero. Now, you hear the backbenchers all mentioning that now. We've been mentioning that for month after month after month after month. What are they running on? Well, inflation, what are you going to do? What are you running on? Nothing. He's not running on anything. National Review has one of the dumbest editorials in the history of National Review. It's an embarrassment. Defending Mitch McConnell. There's nothing to defend. And when you read my friends, uh, Mark Thiessen and uh, Britt Hume, they're not really my friends, they're my acquaintances. When you read what they write, it's fine. It's all expected. It's something you've heard a thousand times already. The great Mitch McConnell, there he is saving us from Trump. There he is saving us from the Tea Party. Wasn't long ago he was saving us from Reagan. What do you mean, Mark? I want to read something to you from somebody who wrote a book about McConnell, but I understand that people have biases and so forth, but there's some very interesting history here. Who is McConnell? He doesn't speak well. He's not articulate. He's not charismatic. He won't go on most conservative media. He's the most despised Republican politician of all Republican politicians. How does he manage to be the head of the Republicans in the Senate when his own base doesn't stand him. That's why he can't go out like Schumer and campaign for these candidates. Who did he campaign for? Nobody. They talk about Trump don't show up in Georgia. McConnell can't show up in Georgia. McConnell couldn't show up in Nevada. McConnell couldn't show up in Pennsylvania. He couldn't show up in New York. Can't show up anywhere. More when I return. Mark Lovin. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, has the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Completely free online at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. We're going to address the House more specifically after I finish here with the Senate, but very interesting, don't you think, that Rand Paul hasn't said anything about Mitch McConnell, our friend Tom Cotton. Very disappointing. He uh, He's endorsed Mitch McConnell. This is this piece from, uh, I only have a few minutes, but I'm going to carry it over, so stick with me. 
NPR, Senator Mitch McConnell's political life examined in the cynic, November 20, 2014. So this is eight years old, and I can't read the whole thing, but you need to know, in 1976, Mitch McConnell supported Gerald Ford against Ronald Reagan. In 1980, Mitch McConnell said that Ronald Reagan was his third or fourth choice after Bush his third or fourth choice. So he's never been in sync with conservative movements or with the public for that matter. But more importantly, with the base of the Republican Party. In 1984, McConnell ran for the Senate and he won with fewer than 5,000 votes. There was no question what happened. McConnell had won basically on the coattails of Ronald Reagan. And McConnell looked at that very, very close result and basically thought to himself, you know what? I don't want it to ever be that close again. I see where the Republican Party is heading. I see where my state is heading. I see where the South is heading politically. And I need to get on the train. He was a very liberal Republican before he flipped. McConnell, who'd been the Senate minority leader since 2007, uh, he would continue to be the leader, minority or majority, for the next 15 years. This is what he's dreamed about since he was a very, very young man, and now he's about to achieve that dream, writes the author McGillis. There was a big battle back in the Republican Party in the 60s between the conservative wing and still quite strong moderate wing. This, of course, during the time of Barry Goldwater's 64 nomination to the party coming from the conservative wing. But there was still a very, very strong moderate contingent of the party. Mitch McConnell was completely on the side of that line. He was firmly pro-union in his first election back in 1977 in Louisville. He got the endorsement of the AFL-CIO because he backed collective bargaining for public employees, which is something even a lot of Democrats today don't support. Hold on, there's more. Got to make sure I get it in the right order here. Skipping around. McConnell, to me, she says, embodies two things in politics today. One is the transformation of the Republican Party from a party that used to be have quite a few moderate and liberal members, the Northern Liberal Republicans, Midwestern moderate Republicans, and a party that is much more monolithically conservative and really southernly based, she says. McConnell really embodies, embodies that shift because he himself has evolved what that transformation just is to a T, she says. But at the same time, he embodies for me the mindset that has become more and more dominant in Washington today, which is the permanent campaign mindset. It's the mindset that all that really matters is the next election, the next cycle. It's not so much what you do when you're in power. It's what you do to position yourself for the next time around, your next re-election. That's key. More when I return. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, is the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David 
Azarat as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Completely free online at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. The new American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. I was... uh supposed to be at the Republican Governors Association meeting Tuesday. I was invited to interview Governor Ron DeSantis. And I had to cancel that. And then later on came an invitation to be at Mar-a-Lago for Donald Trump's announcement, <laughs> Mr. President. Certainly couldn't have been at two places at once, but I had made the commitment, of course, to uh, DeSantis. So keep, But I, I couldn't do it anyway, because here I am. You know, when you listened, and I, I want to get back to this Mitch McConnell piece because it tells you everything you need to know. You know what's amazing to me? The way I speak on the air, and I call these people the Marxists that they are on the left, and I expose them for exactly what they're doing and what they are. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a few more candidates that did exactly the same thing? Joe Biden gets up, he's calling people semi-fascist, telling you democracy is in danger, he's not kidding, Obama. They all run with their lies. I speak the truth, but our guys are afraid, even some of my colleagues, to use the word Marxist. We are fighting Marxists, not socialists, not progressives, not leftists, not liberals. I mean, they call us all kinds of names. Can't we call them what they are? As long as we remain fearful of our principles and fearful of exposing them for what they are. We're not going to have great election cycles. Even though we're teed up to have a great one in 2024, particularly in the Senate, as I've talked about here before. It's not going to happen. You need truth. You need an agenda. You need principles. You need substance. Even so-called conservative outlets, they've lost all of this. You're not going to see it at National Review. You're not going to see it at the Wall Street Journal. They're going to jump right in line about raising the debt ceiling, spending more and more. Do you know that we're now paying almost a trillion dollars in interest on our debt? In about 15 years, we went from $6 trillion to $31 trillion. We had 19 Republicans that voted for that phony infrastructure bill led by McConnell. I mean, I could go on and on and on here. Let's go on. This book I mentioned to you, this is an NPR piece, but it's by, uh, but it was written oh, eight years ago. I want to reiterate something. She says, McConnell really embodies that shift because he himself has evolved with that transformation just to a T. But at the same time, he embodies for me the mindset that has become more and more dominant in Washington, she writes, which is the permanent campaign mindset. You see, it's not like DeSantis or Reagan or the winners out there who say, I have principles, I want to advance the call. And this is why he said... 
that he wasn't going to run on any issues. The Republicans weren't going to run on any issues, not on a legislative agenda. Because he stands for nothing. People say, well, what about that First Amendment when he fought, you know, McCain, fought McCain-Feingold? Well, why did he fight McCain-Feingold? Because he's principled on the Bill of Rights? No. Because of what this article is saying. The permanent campaign mindset. That's what he cares about. Do you know when Obamacare passed, he put in a rider in there that would increase ten times the ability of his Senate leadership fund and funds like it to raise money. That's how he came up with hundreds of millions of dollars to counter the Republican funding system with his own, if you will, political action committee. It's the mindset that all really matters, she writes, is the next election, the next cycle. This is what she's saying McConnell believes in. It's not so much what you do when you're in power in Washington. It's what you do to position yourself for the next time around, your next re-election, your party's next election cycle. That mindset has become very prevalent. It's bipartisan. It also suffuses the media. But McConnell embodies it more than anybody else. You got that? He stands for nothing. And yet there he is constantly. Let's continue. What about his leadership posts in the Senate? It's something he campaigned for more aggressively than just about anyone before him, she writes. His colleagues in the Senate were struck to see just how determined and eager he was to climb the ladder. And what he would do is he would start quite early. Several years before the elections for these various leadership posts, he would start strategizing on how to win those elections. He had a wingman, his colleague, former Senator Bob Bennett from Utah. Now that's interesting. This may explain why he doesn't like Mike Lee. That's, that's I believe, I recall, that's who Mike Lee defeated in his first round during the Tea Party in 2010. And this is why he hates the Tea Party. Bob Bennett from Utah would go out a year or two in advance, listen, and start trying to count up votes and fill people out on whether they would support Mitch or someone else. So in other words, any would-be candidates in any primaries, Mitch wanted to know first and foremost if they would support him for the Republican leader. Sound familiar? Now you're not going to read this in National Review and you're not going to see this on my favorite cable show of Fox. I'm explaining it to you. Again, McConnell was not the most naturally popular or beloved person within his caucus. So he really needed help from someone else to kind of go out and line up those votes for him. They would badmouth the opposition and various rivals for various jobs. And you can see McConnell do this now when you read the editorial pages at the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal and National Review and some of the other outlets. These are the recipients of what McConnell does. Washington Examiner now, I think. They would badmouth the opposition and various rivals for various jobs, really in a junior high school kind of way, trying to line up support so that when the time came for the elections for the various leadership posts higher up on the ladder, it suddenly would become clear McConnell had, in fact, lined up just enough support to get the job. And he feels that way about his lieutenants, too. Thune, Barrasso, Cornyn. And this is how he works. And he does it 24-7 like a leftist. Because he was of the left once. Left of center, certainly. 
Does this now make more sense, Mr. Producer? It's really spot on. Not because I said it, but because it is. Now, there are many senators, eight of them right now, who are asking for a delay in the vote. And Barrasso's out there, one of his lieutenants saying, no way. Our friend Tom Cotton says, no way. No way. I'm just warning these guys. I'm warning them. You're not going to be able to treat us like we're schizophrenic. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to do that. We're not elected officials. We don't have a say in who the leader is in the Senate. We have a say who our nominees are for office in the states, but we don't have a say because it's all opaque and it's all country club. Now let me make something abundantly clear. When you hear commentators on TV, when you watch them, when you hear this endless trashing of these nominees, including Trump nominees, especially Trump nominees, that is people who supported the nominees Trump supported. And by the way, in some cases, Trump would come in later and support them after the people spoke. They're trashing you. These are primaries. You're voting. You're voting. You're not voting for McConnell. You don't have any say. They're going to have a vote this week, whether we like it or not. They're going to install McConnell for the 400th time. He'll be there now. He's already the longest-serving Republican leader in history. More than Dirksen, more than Bob Dole, more than Trent Lott, more than anybody. And why? He doesn't carry our agenda. He doesn't even have an agenda. That's by design. Now, I'm not one of those who talked about Red Wave. I've said this over and over again. I've said it over months. I said it on Fox. I said it here. said it on Levin TV. I didn't see a Red Wave, to be perfectly honest with you. Because of the way the Senate's set up. That said, we could have picked off two or three, perhaps. That wouldn't have been a way, but that would have been nice. So when they keep saying, look at that nominee, Masters in Arizona, Master was the duly selected nominee of the Republican Party by the voters. So they're attacking you. You didn't perform like Mitch McConnell and the Republicans wanted. It's not his fault he didn't put a penny in there. It's not his fault he didn't pull together the candidates on an agenda. It's not his fault that he had no legislative policies in mind. No, that's your fault. Or that he spent $4.5 million in the Republican primary in New Hampshire to try and take out Bolduck. He failed, but he damaged the man, a retired general, because the general wasn't certain whether he'd support McConnell. I just read you what the woman wrote in the book. That's all he cares about. That's what he plots for. Day in and day out. That's it. That he be the leader, whether they're in the minority or majority. It doesn't matter. And it's about time some more of these so-called conservative Republicans in the Senate stand the hell up. And that's the truth. And it's enough to hear even conservative media trash our voters. You don't have to support Trump or MAGA or whatever. Stop trashing the voters. The Democrats don't do this. 
And the Democrats make up names. Oh, they're fascists. Oh, they're this. The other side's filled with Marxists. Don't say Marxist. What are you, a nut like Levin? No, it's what they are. Now, when we come back, I want to address the House side. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, is the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Completely free online at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. By the way, shout out to my buddy Stephen A. Smith. I love this guy. He heard me talking on the program. He sends me a beautiful email. My damn email's not working, so I'll say it on the air. And he had COVID a few weeks back, and I hope you're doing well too, buddy. Thank you very, very much. You may not think this, but you'd be wrong. He's a wonderful, kind guy. He reminds me of me. You want to know the truth. I'm sort of a white him, he's sort of a black me. Can I say that, Mr. Producer? There, I said it. Live with it. All right. Let's look at the house. First, I started looking on the internet. Andy Biggs is going to launch a leadership challenge against Kevin McCarthy. Who's Andy Biggs? You may recall Andy Biggs. We talked about him here a few years back. I'm no fan of this guy. He's part of the Freedom Caucus... He's been a conservative on TV. I'm sure he is. But that said, the only way we're going to save this country ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, I believe is Convention of States. There's five and a half million members. It is an extremely uh, active and vigorous organization. You know I've supported this for years. It is crucial. We have 19 states now that have passed resolutions. 19. We need 15 more. But we couldn't get it passed in Arizona. We had a conservative House, a conservative Senate controlled by the Republicans. But the president of the Senate was a guy by the name of Andy Biggs before he became a congressman. And there were enough votes to pass it in the Senate in Arizona, but he refused to bring it up. He, one man, blocked it. And he wrote something called the con of the con con. So not only was he not just opposed to it, he was affirmatively mocking it attacking it it's in the Constitution now this guy says he wants to be Speaker of the House we have, a, we have some uh, lunatics who comment here and there including on right scoop including on my sites and so what's that have to do with anything Mark must be a rhino these are fools that don't do anything but sit in their basement and wet themselves and then ask for mommy to bring them a cup of tea 
That's not exactly true. But regardless, what happens is Article 5 prescribes a uniform method of call. When two-thirds of the state legislatures, 34, adopt applications, it's an application to Congress demanding that Congress call a convention on a particular subject. Congress is supposed to do it. That is, it must call, right? But if you have somebody who is so ideologically opposed, they could do exactly what Andy Biggs did as Speaker of the House. Block it. Block it. Congress is supposed to set forth the place, time, and state-designated subject matter. In other words, it's a ministerial task. But so was voting on it in Arizona. But he blocked it anyway. I don't trust this guy within 40 states of the Convention of the States. He's demonstrated to me he's no constitutional conservative. And we have millions of people working on this. Conservatives. And people who, who support him, as far as I'm concerned, who trust him to do what they say, oh, we need a conservative. This ain't the guy. So who is the guy? Who is the conservative that conservatives want to replace Kevin McCarthy with? It's not Jim Jordan. He's going to be on the program at the top of the hour. I want to discuss the election with him. Well, who is it? My buddy Chip Roy? Chip Roy can't get more than 40 votes. And I love him. He's been my friend for for a long, long time. We supported his election initially. We were friends long before that, when he worked for the governor of Texas, when he worked for Ted Cruz, and so he's a wonderful, wonderful guy, by the way. So who is it? Who is it, Mr. Producer? I'm just curious. And how is it that Kevin McCarthy's in the same league as McConnell? Tell me, did McCarthy go out and try and blow out some of his own candidates in the general election? No, he didn't. Did he spend millions of dollars attacking his own nominees or would-be nominees in the primaries? No, he didn't. Do we have anything to show for Kevin McCarthy? Anything? Yes. They won 15 seats two years ago, and they're going to win 11 seats this time. So they'll win a total of 26. Is that good enough? No. But I'm going to tell you what I think happened in the House. I'm going to tell you what I think happened. And believe it or not, and it really upsets me to tell you this, part of it comes from Frank Luntz, who backed up into the truth. Backed up into the truth. Backed up into the truth, did Frank Luntz. You would think he would after 400 appearances on TV. Don't stay with me, folks. We got Jim Jordan and more. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. Jim Jordan, how are you, sir? I'm fine, Mark. How are you doing? Been better, but here we are. Um, yeah, well said. <laughs> Not as good as we hoped, but it does right. look like the House is going to go our way. So. Yeah, I've been looking at these numbers. I don't see how the Democrats win it at this point. When you look at the seats up that are left in Arizona and California, they're not leading in any of the ones they need to. They say they need right. to win. So, uh, all right, let's get started. Speaker of the House, is there somebody you support and why? Well, yeah, I've been. Uh, I've been clear that the guy who uh, the guy who gets to the Super Bowl gets to coach the game, and. Uh, while 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 Tuesday didn't go as, as well as we'd all hoped, and frankly as well as we all thought it was going to go, we did win the popular vote. We look, we are going to win the House. We are going to be able to put some some bricks on the craziness from the left. And so um, I think Leader McCarthy, who has done such a, a much better job than than our previous leaders at keeping our team together, and Mark, I always point to, you know, back when they when the Democrats did their first crazy impeachment of President Trump back in 2019, the conventional wisdom going into that was that every Democrat was going to vote to impeach President Trump and a bunch of Republicans were going to join. And then after four months of, of making the case and, and you making the case and putting out, pointing out the facts and the truth and how it works and, and conservatives, it was just the opposite. Every Republican voted not to impeach President Trump. Every Republican in the House voted not to impeach. And several Democrats joined us and one even switched parties, Jeff Andrew, who's now a good member of the Republican conference. So, um, yeah, I think, that's, I think that, that, that shows what we have to do to deal with the left. We better stick together and figure out how we can be uh, a conservative conference who sticks together and opposes the crazy left. Here's my question, though, as a practical matter. Who else could get enough votes to be speaker? I don't see it. Is there, you know, people mention you, but you're not running. So right. who is and, and look, I, I, I think it's a, it's a good point. I don't know, because it, it looks like we're going to get to 220. So any three people can can stop anyone from being anyone from being speaker on the Republican side. So I do think it's it's important that we figure out how we can come together. And it seems to me the guy who has been leading, who actually got you the majority, deserves a chance to lead that majority. Um, and and I, I think you know we'll see what happens here this week and in, in the in in coming weeks. But I think that makes sense to me. And we're going to have to figure out how we come together as a team. Because I always put any difference between the most moderate member and conservative members, uh, people who think like you and I in the Republican conference pales, pales in comparison to the difference between Republicans and the left, which now control the Democrat Party. Remember, two months ago, there was a survey. Fifty five percent of Democrats do not believe America is the greatest nation ever. Like what? A majority of one of the two major political parties doesn't believe what you and I and all your listeners know to be true. This is the greatest nation ever, and they don't think that. So that's how radical they are. We had better figure out a way we hang together, conservatives and not not as conservative Republicans and moderates, how we hang together to stop what they want to do, what the Democrats want to do to this nation. You know, I think what's interesting is you already have Donald Trump backing McCarthy. Apparently making calls for him. You have Marjorie Taylor Greene backing McCarthy. Mm -hmm. We have you backing McCarthy. We have certain Republican moderates backing McCarthy. You know, I look at McCarthy and I I try to step back. He's not John Boehner. He's not Paul Ryan. He didn't try and undermine the conservative base or the MAGA base. Uh, 
he hasn't done what McConnell has done in the Senate, gone after people he doesn't like to try and defeat them in the Welcome. general election or in the primaries. And he's a, he's a different cat altogether, I think. Don't you? Yes, he. Th- that is what has to happen in in, in today's political world. You got to bring the team together, and he has done it. Um, so again, I, I think that is what's needed for all kinds of reasons. Most of most most of which is just how radical the left is. I mean, again, think about what they've done to our country. No border, record crime, $5 gas, 41-year inflation, 41-year high inflation rate, and, of course, what they're doing to your First Amendment, but Second let me Amendment, ask you this. due process Jim, rights, on and on it goes. Who can, who, which conservative out of the Freedom Caucus, and you know I support the Freedom Caucus, I've spoken to members, I've spoken to the caucus, which conservative out of the Freedom Caucus could become speaker? Is there one? I'd like yeah. to know who it is. Yeah, because I, I think for for every for, you know for people who may be against uh, Leader McCarthy, there there are probably just as many, maybe more, uh, uh, moderates who say no, we we don't want a Freedom Caucus member being Speaker either. So I think that's just a situation we're in, and um, that's why it's it's just critically important that we find out who we can coalesce, how we can coalesce, uh, and, and become a team to deal with what the left is trying to do to us. And, and wouldn't it as, be better... As, as I've said... Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. Wouldn't it be better if guys like you and my buddy Chip Roy and some of my other buddies over there, they sit down with McCarthy and say, look, these are the three, four, five things that mean everything to us. Yep. So this is where we want to push this agenda. This is what we want to do. In other words, bring him under the wing. Yeah. If you can. No, to some extent, that. he's already doing that, that, I believe. Go ahead. Yeah, I think I think I think that is the case. Uh, I think it makes sense for the country, and that's what we got to think about. It. it makes sense for the country and for the institution if we can come together, figure out what is the process, what are the rules, what is what is the structure that makes the most sense that's going to help the American people, going to help families across this great nation deal with what the left and where the left wants to take this country. That is what we have to do. And I think you're exactly right. Let's sit down, let's iron it out, and then let's go fight for the American people and do what we told them we were going to do to begin to change what they've done to the border, to crime, to inflation. And most importantly, in my judgment, because then I know this is the, the, the biggest concern you have is, is what the Justice Department is now, mm-hmm. how they're now operating in a totally political fashion. That has, it, it is not America. The no. greatest country ever is not the greatest country ever. If you have a Justice Department that is not treating people equally under the law, and that is exactly what we have. I'm already hearing some of the newly elected members saying, no, 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 no investigations. I want to focus on inflation. And so McCarthy's going to have to deal with people like that, too. So let me ask you a question. Has he said to you, hey, Jim, if you had the Judiciary Committee, I'm going to tie your hands, or you can't investigate X, Y, and Z? Has he said that to you? Not at all. And and, and frankly, that that, that is... I, I don't think there's any way Kevin would ever want to go there, and I'm certainly not going to go there. We're going to do what our constitutional duty requires. When we take the oath of office on January 3rd, we take that oath to uphold the Constitution. Part of our duty is to do oversight and get the facts to the country, to we the people, because they're entitled to know what their government that they pay for is up to. And 14 whistleblowers didn't come to us in the minority because everything is hunky-dory at the Justice Department. They came to us. not They didn't want to do this. They, it was just so bad. They said the leadership at the top of the FBI, the Washington field office, one whistleblower used the term, used the phrase, rotted to its core. 
Now, that, that is serious stuff. So we owe it to the country to dig into that, to get the facts out there so they can fully see what their Justice Department has been doing. Why does Liz Cheney like McConnell so much but hate McCarthy so much? I think it, well, <laughs> I think it's all to do with, with uh, uh, the whole January 6th issue, and it's all to do with President Trump. Um, the, the, that, but you that's know, my point. Has, yeah, no, exactly, exactly, exactly right. That's where, and, that's and here's, where he's different than... And, and than here's the other thing, Jim. <clears throat> it's not like if somebody's a speaker, they're a speaker for life. You're not talking about a Supreme Court appointment, right? So if somebody turns out one way or the other... Can, that person can always be challenged. There can be another person coming forward and so forth. I'm just sitting here, seriously, as a person who spent 40 years of my life in the conservative movement, backing Reagan, backing the Tea Party, backing whatever needed to be backed, the Convention of States movement. I'm thinking, well, who the hell is going to do this? Who yeah. is it? I mean, honestly, and who's going to get the vote? And meanwhile, at least when it comes to McCarthy, I think conservatives like you, movement, solid, principled conservatives, can at least grab his ear and talk to him and he'll listen to you. That wasn't like Boehner and the others. They just didn't do it. Well, remember, Leader McCarthy came to Mark Meadows and I. I mean, we're, we're, there were nine of us who started this, this group, the Freedom Caucus, seven years ago. He came to us and, and, and said, you know, I want you chairing this, this, this committee. You worked in the chair of this committee. And, and John Boehner didn't do that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Ryan didn't do that. So no, they threw conservatives no off committees. <laughs> exactly. So uh, you're you're certainly right uh, that, that that this this leader has has worked, I think, much much better and much much harder to. And the way I always say it is, bring the team together. And and look, I've been trying to do that for the last several years too. And we did it. We did it on impeachment. We did it on so many issues. We did it when we stood up to this crazy bill that bill with eighty seven thousand IRS agents and on it. So that's what has to happen if we're going to slow down the the Biden left wing craziness that we have now seen over the last twenty one months. What if the Republicans can't get behind somebody? Then what happens in the House for Speaker? Well, I mean, I, I, we're going to. We're going to find someone. Uh, and I, I think that individual is going to be Leader McCarthy, but uh, you, you, you find someone. Um, and, and look, you know what I want to do. We've talked about it several times on your TV show, on your radio show. I want to chair the committee that is supposed to safeguard the, 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 the Constitution of this great country, the greatest nation ever, to look after the Bill of Rights. That's what the, the House Judiciary Committee historically has been the committee that said we're going to be we're going to be the committee that makes sure the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, those are protected. And and that has not been the case, obviously, under under, under the Democrats and, and what they've been up to. So that's what I want to do. When you look at some of the stuff that these guys have this this red flag concept on your Second Amendment liberties, what they're doing yeah. to our first. They tried to set up the disinformation governance board, mm-hmm. for goodness sake. And we find and by out the way, Jim was working with government. Oh, it's, it's scary where they want to I, th- I think they were poised to interfere in this election, too. That all started up to it. But I want to make a challenge out there, Jim, and you can take it back to the Freedom Caucus on all my brothers sure. and sisters there. If any of them think they have the votes, I want them to come on my program and... And show and tell us. That's all. Tell yep. us. Maybe I'll get behind you. Yep. Who, whomever yep. thinks they can pull together the Republican caucus and have the votes, 
the votes to be speaker. You need a majority of the full house. Just come on and let me know who it is, because I can't figure it out. I, you know, I've got people calling me, Jim. You know how it is. Uh, but, but, but. No, sure. They don't have anybody. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I understand. But it was important that you came on here, because they keep saying, well, Jim Jordan. I said, but he's not going to do it. I'm reading. That's not going to happen. Plus, yeah, again, I, I, don't you think these senators, the conservative senators, would in two seconds trade McCarthy for McConnell? I'm being perfectly honest. McCarthy <laughs> would sit down with those guys. I'm putting you in a bad spot, aren't I? All right, forget it. Well, no, no, look, look, I do think it's important. We, we, as I said now a couple times, we got to sit down and, and build a bridge and, and work together it, where the left wants to go where they have already begun to take this country. This is not what the people want. Remember, we won the popular vote. It didn't go like we hoped and like we all thought That's it right. was, but we won the popular vote. I think it's funny, you know, the Democrats don't talk about it in a presidential race, so, you know, they're, they're talking about getting rid of the Electoral College. Yeah. You know, we won, the, we won the popular vote, but we're not talking about getting rid of the Electoral College. We trust the American people. We won the popular vote. What we also got to remember is that this election, I think, did teach you something. We're going to have to adopt to the new crazy rules some of these states in the West have when it comes yep. to mail-in voting. We're going to have to we're, look. We don't may not like the rules, but the rules are the rules, and you got to play you know, by you those know what rules. They did in Nevada, you, Jim, you know what they did to my buddy Adam Laxalt? Yeah. They have that. Uh, what do they call when they they go in and they get the harvesting? Yeah, so they have these data experts. They see what's coming in. They kind of know what's coming in already. And so the unions go door to door, particularly in apartment buildings. They harvest the votes. A lot of states don't allow this, but Nevada does. And yep. so that weekend, they came up with tens of thousands of votes out of heavy Democrat areas. Got It's not illegal. It's actually legal in Nevada. I know. And it went sixty five yep. it went sixty five thirty five for the Democrat, and there's not a single other counting method or anything that went sixty five thirty five, but they brought in the sixty five thirty five votes at the very end. I know. It, and unfortunately, that's not Republicans don't like it. it. I think it's wrong. It shouldn't be legal. But in fact, it's the rule it, that are, those are the rules. And we need to understand that. And you got to function within the rules. But we had three House seats that we were we were all we thought we had a chance in three House seats in Nevada. We lost all of them. We're losing all these close races because in the West because of those the, the, the ballot, ballot harvesting concept and, and how they do it. Um, we're going to have to change. It's like knowing you're not going to win. And legally, you still have three days. So you go out and get the ballots. You start collecting them. Who's ever heard of anything like that? All right, Jim, I want to thank you for your integrity you and bet. your forthrightness. Thanks, buddy. You bet. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for all you're doing. Take Be well. No, I'm not a special pleader for Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy, have I ever met Kevin McCarthy person? I think by accident once at an airport. But I don't believe I've ever met him. I could be wrong. Maybe it's some big event. Maybe a... No, I think I did, actually, but I don't remember where. But never socialize with any... I, I just don't do that with politicians, okay? But I'm not a special pleader for anybody. I've asked. These people call me. I say, what do you have? They don't have anything. They talk about this guy, Biggs. I said, I can't get behind that guy. He's a disaster. Only biggest issue to me of all. Uh, then they tell me, guys like Jim, Jordan and other guys, that they can work with McCarthy. McCarthy's going to let him do X, Y, Z. I remember the days battling Boehner. It was, he, was, he was an a-hole. 
to be perfectly honest with you. And McConnell's totally unapproachable. Now, when we come back, Frank Luntz backed into something very interesting. I don't think it was intentional. He backed into it. And believe it or not, he was on CNN. CNN. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. There's literally no reason to pay Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile over $80 a month for wireless when you can get the same service on the same network at Pure Talk for half the price. Yep, talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Those other guys are making you pay for thousands of retail stores you don't go into, perks you don't use, and massive profits to keep their shareholders happy. You know who Pure Talk wants to keep happy? Their customer, you. That's why they've invested in a U.S.-based customer service team. It's why they give you more data options than unlimited, because they won't charge you for data you don't need. I switched to Pure Talk because I like supporting a company owned by a U.S. veteran. I like supporting a company who supports me and my values. And I invite you to switch to pure talk too they're my guys switch to pure talk in less than 10 minutes go to puretalk.com and our promo code levin podcast that's l-e-v-i-n podcast to save 50 percent off your first month again puretalk.com and in a promo code levin podcast Before we get to Luntz, he can wait. Former Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani will not face criminal charges in Ukraine foreign lobbying case, prosecutors say. I've asked my buddy Rudy to come on the program. He'll be on right after the bottom of the hour. But look how they smear this guy. God knows how much money he had to spend. And the stress you go through in your life knowing that you are targeted by the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. Southern District of New York has made a definitive affirmative statement that it's not going to bring charges against Rudy. Remember how excited the Democrat Party media were? Remember how excited the Democrat Party was? They were going to get Rudy. See, everybody is fair game now. Whether it's Trump, whether it's Rudy, anybody. People who've had incredible reputations. It doesn't matter. Former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani will not face criminal charges in an investigation whether he violated U.S. lobbying laws while doing business in Ukraine, federal prosecutors told a judge today. But they smeared the crap at him. He had a grand jury probe. Remember, they broke into his home. They took his phone. They took his laptop. They... Anyway, I'm going to have Rudy on here in literally minutes after the break to discuss it with me. We'll be right back. There's literally no reason to pay Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile over $80 a month for wireless when you can get the same service on the same network at Pure Talk for half the price. Yep, talk, text, and blazing fast data. Just 30 bucks a month. Those other guys are making you pay for thousands of retail stores you don't go into, perks you don't use, and massive profits to keep their shareholders happy. You know who Pure Talk wants to keep happy? Their customer, you. That's why they've invested in a U.S.-based customer service team. It's why they give you more data options than unlimited, because they won't charge you for data you don't need. 
I switched to Pure Talk because I like supporting a company owned by a U.S. veteran. I like supporting a company who supports me and my values. And I invite you to switch to Pure Talk, too. They're my guys. Switch to Pure Talk in less than 10 minutes. Go to puretalk.com and our promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Rudy Giuliani, you know, you used to run the Southern District, and uh, then they started a criminal investigation of you. First of all, congratulations. You've been an innocent man, and you're still an innocent yeah. man. I, I actually appreciate that. I mean, I, I am an innocent man, but I know that with the kind of liars and crooks that are hanging around now, both Democrat mostly, but even Republican politics, yeah. they'll, they'll lie about anything. And they wanted me because I represented Trump. Tell everybody what happened. Is, Tell everybody what happened. Well, uh, without my knowing it, the day I began representing Trump, roughly the same day the FBI took my iCloud account, which means that from approximately April of 2019 until the day they broke into my apartment, which is about a year and a quarter ago, they will they, they had all my iCloud, which is what I, I most everything is on iCloud, not just with my client. Uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, but my five or six other clients who are very serious people. So the and and four of them were criminal cases with the Justice Department, or three of them. So they so of course they say they did, I don't know if they even they don't even bother telling me whether they listened in or not. Uh, it's something that when you and I were young lawyers in the Justice Department or before or after that. This is something that would be unheard of. No. Yep. I mean, the worst, the worst crazy conservative or liberal wouldn't do something like this. Mm-mm. Or if he did, we would consider him to be un-American, non-American, some kind of creature of, of Soviet Union or Nazi Germany. You break into a lawyer's office? I mean, I, think, I wasn't the first Trump lawyer they broke into. I was by the third. Oh, so now they determined after three and a half years of this, They've looked at everything I have or own. For 20 years, I was in business. I traveled to 95 different countries. I did business in about 18 of them. They can't find a single thing in which to charge probable cause that I committed a crime. I thought grand juries could indict a ham sandwich. Uh And, and, And they put me through millions of dollars worth of expense. I don't just mean legal fees. I mean, my poor clients who had to go find other lawyers and who I lost as clients. And luckily, none of them, unlike the vicious press, including some of the right-wing press, mm-hmm. uh, didn't make me pay a price for it. My clients were all loyal to me, even though I felt tremendously guilty, as you would as a lawyer. That mm-hmm. here, here, These people aren't even Donald Trump. And the FBI has access to their communications with me. What kind of country are you living in? Unbelievable. No Sixth Amendment anymore? No First Amendment? The Fourth Amendment's a joke. I mean, when they came in and, and at six in the morning and raided my apartment and my law office simultaneously, I was in my apartment sleeping. Everyone said, well, they must have something where there's smoke, there's fire. 
And I said, look, I've, I, <laughs> the one thing I know how to do is not break the law. I, I prosecuted that 500, 5,000 people. I think I know how not to break the law. Mm-hmm. And I think and I'm going to be I'm going to be boastful. I think I prosecuted more significant criminals than any prosecutor in the last 50 years. I'd like you to find the one who's prosecuted more than me. Uh, People of all different kinds, Republicans, Democrats, Democratic, crooked, local Democrats that are part of the crooked New York machine that still exists. Crooked Republicans. Nazis sent two of them off to their deaths with Buchanan going crazy on me in the Reagan administration. Because the guy was sentenced to death in the Soviet Union. He also killed 22,000 people, 11,000 personal. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That kind of changes things for me. I prosecuted Boski, Milken, the entire commission of the mafia, and 400 other local mafia members who threatened to kill me four times. They actually voted once, three to two, not to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that nice? You know, the two yeah. guys that voted against me, I put in jail for 100 years. And yeah. one of them put out a contract on him, on me because he said I was ungrateful. Yeah. Parmine Persico. Parmine the snake Persico. And if you called him the snake, he would go nuts. He wanted to be called Junior. Yeah. You know, I often say, Mark, we have to talk about this. Some of them were much nicer guys than Biden. Yeah, no doubt. They would not like, uh, half of them wouldn't want their sons involved in their crooked, disgusting criminality like Biden did with Hunter. Now, Rudy, they'd have Rudy. somebody else. They'd have, they'd have gotten somebody else to be their bag man rather than their son who had an addictive personality and therefore he ruined his life. All right, let, let me ask you most something. Of them did, would not, and most of them would not have allowed yeah. a grandchild. Did, did they ever try and pressure you to agree to something or, or they just kept investigating you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How about the bar association? The two bar associations made up of made up of uh, people who, you know, I, I don't think they found... Uh, New York and D.C. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they've taken some of the most brilliant justices and judges and found them unqualified because they're conservative. They, their two cases against me are complete frauds. And I've spent hours with them producing uh, document after document supporting what I said. There's not a single thing I said that isn't supported by... Somebody else saying it to me. What, what am I supposed to do as a lawyer? Tear it up because you don't like Trump? Because you're a, because you're a prejudiced liberal who is so left wing, you've lost all concept of due process, justice, decency. I'm sorry, I'm not going to cave into you. Mm-hmm. And then the judges in New York suspend me because I'm a danger. Right now, Terrible. I'm suspended from the practice of law. You know why? I might cause a riot. Unbelievable. Now, a judge in the District of Columbia, a federal judge, dismissed me from that case and said that my words constituted no even uh, 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 arguable incitement to riot because I was talking about trial by battle involving machines, taking two machines and testing them against each other as a trial by. And I said, if our machine wins, you go to jail. And nobody got upset. And it was two hours before anything on January 6th. So an Obama judge dismissed me. So we got at least one who can abide by the Constitution. But the Bar Association still wants to throw me out. They say I didn't have enough of a case in Pennsylvania. I only have 
350 affidavits. I've got multiple witnesses for every allegation of fraud that I made. And they want to debate with me whether it was appropriate for me to ask in my prayer for relief for a uh, substitution of Trump for Biden. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of a lawyer that's ever been disciplined for the prayer for relief. You're supposed to ask for the maximum for your client, unless he's Donald Trump, and and you are a screwed up left wing excuse for a lawyer. They're going after Eastman too. They're trying to destroy him. Eastman's a fine man. Eastman is one of the nicest, most decent men I've ever met. Yep, what they're doing to him, they should go to hell for. God, God should sentence them to hell. I can't tell God what to do. But these are mm-hmm. evil people to go after Eastman. This is a truly, I'm not a nice man. I'm a tough guy. And I put a lot of really bad, I wouldn't have put all those bad people in prison if I wasn't a tough guy. And when you come after me, I come after you if you are wrong. If you're right, I agree. And if I do something wrong, I apologize. But I don't violate the law. And I sure as hell don't violate Rule 11. I won the case, Nemiroff against Abelson, that amended Rule 11 to make it tougher. I know Rule 11 better than they do. You have to Tell have everybody what Rule basis. 11 is. You have to have a reasonable basis for what you allege. As a lawyer, you, you, you can't know when you're alleging things whether they're true or not completely. Right. Mm-hmm. And also, you've got to bend it within reasonable basis in the light most favorable to your client. So if somebody comes in and says, I tried to look at these ballots, and they pushed me away, and 500 ballots were counted without my looking at them, I have no reason to disbelieve that. i got to present it to the court. Otherwise, I should be disbarred. Mm-hmm. Even if the Bar Association is going to try to take my license away. That's what I did. I'm, a more, I'm going to tell you, I'm a hell of a lot more honorable lawyer than they are. They're a bunch of... All right, I don't want you to get this part. That's good. I got I, it. I know, they're going to go after me big time for saying this. But the hell with it. I mean, I'm too old, and I don't care. I mean, you got to tell people the truth. they got to know what they're dealing with in this country. We're, we're, on, the I, I wanna, becoming, I, we're on the verge I want, of becoming a dictatorship. No, no worse. If we're not. And I want, I, want the American, I want the American people to understand. Here you have a... a top-notch lawyer who's under the gun because they don't agree with what he was doing. They took attorney-client privilege away. They took work product away. They took confidentiality away. Every one of you out there gets a lawyer. You expect that to be protected. And then all of a sudden, it's, okay, sorry. What is this, uh, Saturday Night Live? Oh, okay, sorry. We washed our hands of it. What? There's no penalty for them? They don't have to pay a price? Nothing? Nothing. And off they go to the next victim. Yep. And, then, and then let's tell the truth. On these ethics complaints, you have a group out there, a left-wing group that's going around trying to make sure Trump and other conservatives can never have lawyers. So they're filing ethics complaints against them. Uh, most, a lot of conservatives have resigned from the American Bar Association because it's so bad. But you can't resign from the bar that gives you the license to practice. So 
Rudy's dragged in front of New York and D.C. Two of the worst. I'm just being honest. Yep. And that's what's going on. And you're not the you only know, Mark, one, and it's horrible. You'll appreciate this. In the case in Pennsylvania, which is the only one I argued in court, right? Which right. they're trying to disbar me for in the district and in part in New York. The judge did not cite me for any violation of Rule 11. He didn't even suggest it. My opponents didn't. So what the hell is the Bar Association doing? They know more about they know more about the case than the judge and my opponents. That's unbelievable. What? And I've never heard of that before. They just and they did it based on the kind of people you're taught. One of them has done it against multiple Republicans. The guy goes out and he takes what's written in the New York Times and the Post, cites it as truth. I've got affidavits uh, discounting it. And then they continue to... Now, how can they justify suspending me? Who am I a threat to? Let me, let me, Rudy, let me put a fine point on this. So in other words, he goes into court, he argues a case. There's a judge. There's the other counsel. The case is over. There's an ethics complaint filed against him for violating what they call this rule of law. In other words, bringing a frivolous case, basically. And the judge who was there at the time, the trial judge didn't conclude that. He didn't refer the case to the bar. The defense counsel, he or she didn't refer the case to the bar. Some third party refers the case to the bar. And something like that would typically be rejected on its face. And yet... They want him disbarred, and they're seriously looking at the case because somebody made these complaints who have political agendas. That's how yeah. sick this is. And they spent millions of dollars on their side. They've been investigating it, uh, Mark, for a year and a half. What's to investigate? Uh, all right, Rudy. Plus, they're denying me expert witnesses. They're coming up with all kinds of crazy interpretations of the law. And I tell you, we're arguing over, now we're arguing over, was it appropriate for me in my prayer for relief to ask that there were, uh, to ask for a new, uh, for a different, for a different uh, result in the election, even though at least in, in the light most favorable to my client, I had evidence that, that supported that. I've got a hard break. They asked for $20 billion in a $2 million case. Yeah. And nobody does anything to them. I just want to congratulate you. You're a tough guy, and thank God for that, because other people would have collapsed, would have had a heart attack by now. Not for me. It's for the country. I, I want to die I knowing I did everything right for my country, and I love you. You're one of the true patriots. You got You're me. wonderful. You know what? And I you feel the same way. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, take care of yourself, Rudy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Unbelievable. Do I need to go now? Let me let me take the break and we'll get back and we'll get back to this. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. There's literally no reason to pay Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile over $80 a month for wireless when you can get the same service on the same network at Pure Talk for half the price. Yep, talk, text, and blazing fast data 
just 30 bucks a month. Those other guys are making you pay for thousands of retail stores you don't go into, perks you don't use, and massive profits to keep their shareholders happy. You know who Pure Talk wants to keep happy? Their customer, you. That's why they've invested in a U.S.-based customer service team. It's why they give you more data options than unlimited, because they won't charge you for data you don't need. I switched to Pure Talk because I like supporting a company owned by a U.S. veteran. I like supporting a company who supports me and my values. And I invite you to switch to Pure Talk, too. They're my guys. Switch to Pure Talk in less than 10 minutes. Go to puretalk.com and our promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com and our promo code Levin Podcast. See, this is the cult of McConnell on Capitol Hill, ladies and gentlemen, even though he's the most unpopular Republican bar none. His, uh, his little uh, cadre is circling the wagons around him. That would be Thune, Bassaro, uh, Cornyn, and uh, their ilk. So uh, each one of them is positioning themselves. Uh, Shelley Moore, Capito, she's useless. Did I say she's useless? She is. And there are others. They're circling the wagon, and uh, they will, uh, of course, do what they can to protect their man uh, from you and me. From you and me. So uh, that's what I'm seeing. Even uh, Tommy Tuberfield of Alabama, he's going to vote. See, they get sucked in. It's only the strongest among them that can withstand this kind of pressure. It's only the strongest among them who can withstand this kind of pressure. And there aren't many. Next hour, I want to get into this lunch thing. Stay with us in my interview, another one, with the great B.B. Netanyahu. I'll be right back. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read the secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution. Against all freedom-loving Americans. So, you need to read the war on cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492. 
800-630-1492 or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, A little later, but not a lot later. My interview today with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is forming a government now over in Israel. All right, folks, I want you to listen to this. This is Frank Luntz on CNN today. Only 20 seconds, so you won't lose your dinner. Cut 29, go. And one more. Yeah. Republicans actually got 5 million more votes for the House than the Democrats. 5 million. So why don't the results show themselves mm-hmm. in the congressional races? The answer, redistricting. Mm-hmm. That it had a bigger impact against the GOP than anybody realized. And you could not know this until so election day. You could not know that until the election. All right. This is one of the first explanations we've had for the distinction between the Republicans having 5 million more votes and yet not winning more seats. What happened? First of all, who's in charge of redistricting? Is it Kevin McCarthy, Mr. Producer? No, it's each state. They did a good job in Florida. They did a good job, a court did in New York. But around the rest of the country, there was a lot of trepidation, wasn't there? No, you didn't hear a damn thing. But you heard this again in January. Here's the thing about me. I'm thinking a year ahead, two years ahead with these elections. Democrats bringing lawsuits. Remember I talked about that? All the rest of it. I did talk about redistricting. And I said what? They're going to redistrict and steal the election. Did he say steal? Well, the Democrats say that all the time. They call it voter suppression. Anyway, here it is. This is from January 4th of this year so this is from 10 months ago well before the election when the Republicans at the RNC when when the Republicans in the state had plenty of time to prepare for this cut six go now ladies and gentlemen there's something here I want to get to you know my wife Julie says people are getting too cocky about this 2022 election they keep saying Republicans are gonna win they're gonna win big Rather than saying, she points out, that we're going to win and win big, we have to make sure we win and win big. And it starts, it starts with the rugby match. And the rugby match is redistricting. And our friends over at Just the News, John Solomon, listen to this headline. Redistricting has so far given Democrats six seats ahead of the 2022 midterm election. Six seats. Now, follow me on this. Because you're here for a reason. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 
and the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Injustice, led by Meritless Garland, is radical, Marxist, kook, racist bigot, who's the Assistant Attorney General heading the Civil Rights Division. And I don't use that phrase lightly. I use it when it's true, like with, with Joy Reid. But nonetheless, she's in charge. They've already challenged Texas. They want to steal one or two seats out of Texas, saying that Texas drew lines that are harmful to minorities. What they really mean are not minorities, but the Democrats. And they are poised to challenge other states and have. Because they're there not to ensure that the 1965 Civil Rights Act is actually enforced properly and in good faith. But to use it to create more Democrat districts in Republican states. And to create more Democrat districts out of Republican-leaning districts. So the Democrat Party has the United States Department of Injustice, as well as several federal courts on its side, as well as many of these state Supreme Courts on its side. So this is a very, very, very important issue. Very, very, very important issue. And yet nobody talked about it. A couple weeks later, I learned that the Republicans put a committee together to look at gerrymandering in these states. And who, among others, was on this committee? This guy seems to be behind everything and is a serial loser for us, conservatives in the Republican Party. Who was behind this, too? Cut seven, go. Dave Wasserman. A senior editor at the nonpartisan Cook Political Report said that New York's proposed map was such an effective gerrymander that it only wasted Democratic votes in a few isolated space, places. Even then, now we're stop talking- there for a second. So a judges looked at this and told New York to fix it. They really wouldn't. And so they threw it out. So it turns out New York turned out well, but the rest of the country, other than Florida and New York, turned out very poorly for the Republicans. Very poorly. Go ahead. It's it's a brutal map for Republicans. Our guys just don't get it. And I don't know about you, but I felt relieved. I felt relieved when I saw uh, Carl Rove, I think it was on one of the Sunday shows, it's not mine, I don't really remember. It was on one of the Sunday shows. Because we all know Karl Rove is the architect. He was the architect of the 2006 Senate blowout by the Democrats. And the great victory by George W. Bush in 2000, uh, which was ultimately decided uh, via the Electoral College. Nonetheless, he's apparently on some committee that is helping to fight on the gerrymandering issue, Mr. Producer. That scares the crap out of me. You notice this is a Svengali's behind everything, with all due respect. So he failed, they failed, to defend Republican citizens, or non-Democrat citizens, in state after state after state when it came to gerrymandering, that is redistricting. They failed. And this was an issue nobody was looking at. It was happening in the states. There was nothing Kevin McCarthy could do about this. I was raising the alarm 
Do you know anybody else who was talking about this seriously at the time? At the time, I even said, backbenchers, we need your help. Nobody spoke up. Didn't see it on my favorite network, nothing. And so according to Lutz, Frank Putz, I mean Luntz, he said this was one of the reasons you have a gap between the number of Republican votes and the number of Republican wins. And you know what? Certainly in a significant number of these districts, he's correct. He's correct. Now we have in part the answer. Kudos to him for pointing it out. I forgot about it. But it's true. So cocky about the red wave. Oh, the red wave, the red wave. And I told you, 10 months ago, my wife, Julie, says... These people are too damn cocky on TV about this Republican wave, this Republican wave. And for months and months and months, this family and us, you, the bigger family, kept talking about this, right? You've got to do the thing. Mitch McConnell had hundreds of millions. Well, what did he do with them? What is the head of the RNC? What's her name, Mr. Producer? I don't know. Rona what? Rona McDaniel? It wouldn't hurt to get somebody in there now, too. I understand Lee Zeldin might be looking at it. I haven't spoken to Lee about it, but he'd be a fantastic chairman of the RNC. I mean, that's where the rubber hits the road, too. Seems to me that uh, we need a new leader of the RNC. And there are many good people who would fill that slot. But Lee Zeldin, to me, would be the top one. Why not? So this gerrymandering, a.k.a. redistricting, our states didn't take it seriously enough. The RNC didn't take it seriously enough, and apparently Carl Rove didn't take it seriously enough. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Got a lot to get to here, not enough time to do it, but I must confess with this COVID, I am getting a little worn out, but let me keep plugging ahead. People have a lot worse than I do, and they plug ahead. Now, this is interesting, America. This is from the New York Slimes that slipped out today, this afternoon, from uh, Alan Foyer, or whatever, and Adam Goldman. The FBI had as many as eight informants inside the far-right Proud Boys in the months surrounding the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. Recent court papers indicate, raising questions about how much federal investigators were able to learn from them about the violent mob attack, both before and after it took place. Uh, That's not what I get out of this. What I get out of this is, if the FBI knew that this group was going to be violent. If that's the information they gleaned from their informants, why didn't they have more protection at the Capitol building, Mr. Producer? So now we know a hell of a big piece of the puzzle. When somebody keeps saying, who is that guy? Remember that guy that kept waving people in and waving people in and they said... Epps, right? 
What was his first name? Ray Epps. That's right. Everybody kept saying, who's this Ray Epps? Oh, don't worry about Ray Epps. Ray Epps, no, Ray Epps isn't charged with anything. He's not in any court in Washington, D.C. They had informants, the FBI. They had him in the Proud Boys. The existence of the informants came to light, and I'll bet they had him elsewhere. I'll bet they were all over the Capitol building. The existence of the informants came to light over the past few days in a flurry of veiled court filings by defense lawyers for five members of the Proud Boys who are set to go on trial next month on seditious conspiracy charges connected to the Capitol attack. In the papers, some of which were heavily redacted, the lawyers claimed that some of the information that confidential sources had provided to the government was favorable to their efforts to defend their clients against sedition charges and was improperly withheld by prosecutors until several days ago. This damn FBI is completely out of damn control, as is the damn Department of Justice. But don't worry, the voters, hey, uh, Democrat, I gotta vote Democrat. (laughs) FBI informants were neither suppressed by the government nor directly relevant to the case of the Brow Poise facing sedition charges. That's what they say. Enrique Talillo, the group's former leader, Joseph Biggs, yeah, whatever. Because of all the material remains under a highly restricted protective order. It's not possible to know what the informants told the government about the Proud Boys' role in the Capitol attack or how that information might affect the outcome of the trial. I think Donald Trump's lawyers will want to know about this. And how much did the January 6th committee know about this? Because the January 6th committee didn't provide any of this to the American people. Does that concern any of the legal analysts? Does that concern any of the news hosts on the various news platforms? A closed court hearing was held today to discuss the informants in federal district court in Washington. Lawyers for the Proud Boys had asked Judge Timothy Kelly, I think this is a, uh, a Trump appointee, who's overseeing the case to dismiss the indictment, or at least delay the trial to give them more time to investigate the newly revealed informants. Now, why wouldn't he at least give them more time? Judge Kelly made no decision at the hearing. Why? How hard is it? According to a notice placed on the docket after the proceeding ended, the dispute about the informants and the Proud Boys came on the heels of revelation the FBI also had a well-placed source in the inner circle of Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the Oath Keepers militia. Another f- they had informants at the Oath Keepers. They had informants at the Proud Boys. They had to know information if there was any plotting, right? I don't have all the facts. You don't have all the facts. But they had to know something was up. But they withheld this information from we the people. The January 6th committee, if they had it, withheld this information from we the people because they want you to believe that Donald Trump's speech caused an insurrection. They want you to believe that even though he said be peaceful, that he meant be violent. The New York Slimes doesn't even know what information it's revealing. I wish I had more time to go through this. I don't. I will hold on to it, however. The second largest Democrat donor behind uh, George Soros, Mr. Sugar Daddy, Sam Bankman Freed, is under investigation of mishandling customer deposits as his company implodes. 
And that's, he, he offered to donate up to a billion dollars to the Democrats ahead of the midterm election. Um, and now he, uh, let's see, he gave more than $5 million to Biden's 2020 campaign. He gave millions more this cycle to the Democrat Party that was spent in the midterm elections. Millions. Second biggest donor, as I said. Tens of millions, I guess. And now everything's lost. So in other words, all of the investors lost everything. While this guy was giving tens of millions of dollars to the Democrat Party. And was visiting the White House just a few weeks back. Now this seems to me to be another Democrat Party scandal. We have a guy that just got elected out of New York. I think his name is Stamos or something like that. Good conservative. But he doesn't want to do any investigations. No, he was elected to fix inflation. He was elected to fix inflation so he doesn't want to investigate corruption in the government. We elect people to walk and chew gum at the same time, fella. And we expect you to do both. I'll be right back. Mr. Prime Minister, how are you, sir? Pretty good. Congratulations on your fantastic victory. I see you're forming a government. How's that going? Oh, the usual ups and downs, but uh, <laughs> 10 days, I think. I'm used to this, you know. <laughs> this, is, this is my sixth government. Tell the American people how this works, because a lot of people sit here. We have our own uh, screwy system, too, from time to time. And, and what is it that you have to do now? Well, you have a, a better system than ours. I, I categorically tell you that right away. Yeah. But our system is called proportional representation. That means that uh, to our parliament, which is called the Knesset, I elected 120 representatives based on 120 portions of the voting public, the people who actually voted. Uh, in our case, once you have those members elected, they're members of different parties, these parties form a coalition of 61 out of 120 at least, and that, that the coalition uh, then chooses the prime minister. My party is the biggest party in the coalition. It is half of that coalition. We have 64 seats out of 120. We have 32 seats. The other uh, 32 are parties also on the right. So we will form a full right-wing government with me as prime minister. That's how it works. It's not direct elections uh, of the president the way you have it in America. It's more the European uh, style. I prefer yours, actually. Well, I do, too. But let me ask you this. So you have smaller parties each vying for positions in the government, and that's pretty much what you're dealing with right now, correct? Right. That's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me ask. You wrote this fantastic book, BB My Story. We talked about it a few weeks back. You must be really proud being on the New York Times bestseller list. I'm joking. But, uh, but that is quite an achievement. Uh, in fact... You were number nine, but the numbers show that you really were higher than number nine on the New York Times bestseller list. They don't, they don't really give you a break over there, do they? Oh, I don't care. As long as if your readers or your audience listens to you, I think that's actually more important 
Uh, but I, the book has been received uh, just enormous um, uh, reception. And the best way to get a reading of it is to uh, just look at the comments of readers in Amazon. But they give it, a, I think, an average of 4.8 out of 5 um, stars. Not bad. I mean, uh, well, let's talk about the two-tenths that don't give it, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Good enough. So, well, I think it's better than mine. Uh, well, it's been widely received here in Israel. It's just be, I think it's beating Harry Potter. I mean, it's the, the best-sold book um, by a local author in Israel's history. So I don't think, uh, you know, there's a better one. Uh, with far wider circulation, it's called the Bible. Um, so yeah. let's not make that comparison. But uh, it has sold an enormous number of books. They, they really fly off the shelf. And I'm very glad of the reception that we're getting from uh, from the United States. It's great. Well, it's a remarkable book because uh, it involves you personally, your family, the things you went through, as well as so many diplomatic and public things and governing things. I mean, you were able to uh, sew them all together, fuse them all together and remark. And I do this often with you because that's the way I feel. It reminds me of the way Churchill used to write, quite frankly. Did, did that have an influence on you, do you think? Uh, his first book, which is uh, called My Early Life, it's an autobiography he wrote at the age of 30, uh, thinking that he would die um, uh, early like his uh, father. He didn't. He lived to be, uh, you know, 90 something but uh, but he wrote it and it's written in um, I was captivated by the way that he wrote that his later books were uh, sort of compendiums of uh, war diaries and so on so they didn't quite have the uh, they were more polemical books or uh, records and I didn't write my biography that way I wrote it as a, as a story a story of um, my, my family uh, my father uh, my grandfather was a great rabbi. My father, who was a great historian, my brother, who was a great hero, gave his life rescuing hostages in the heart of Africa. And then my own life in, um, uh, as a soldier, a diplomat, and statesman, and politician. Uh, you, you have to go through politics if you want to affect policy. Uh, and my quest to assure that the one and only Jewish state, Israel, is secure, prosperous, uh, and permanent. Uh, and that is uh, basically, the, that's the story of my life, but it's also the story of the Jewish people, which is not always familiar to readers. And I get a lot of comments from people who say, we not only learned about you, we learned about Israel, we learned about Jewish history, we learned about general history insofar as it affects the Middle East. Uh, and um, and that's very gratifying. The book is BB My Story. Uh, you can get it on Amazon.com. Over uh, the Thanksgiving uh, weekend, I want the audience to know that we will be running a special, and that special will include uh, the best book interviews I did on Fox, and a, and the lead uh, interview will be with uh, Bibi Netanyahu. Let me ask you this. I'm going to call you Mr. Prime Minister, because that's what you deserve. Mr. Prime Minister, where does the name Bibi come from? Well, it came from my, my older cousin of mine, who, uh, as a child, would... Uh, play along the fields next to the Mediterranean coast where my aunt and uncle lived and his uh, sister, my cousin Daphna, would call him to come home. He was a very uh, wild kid and he, he wouldn't come home in the dark. So she would call out in the dark. His name was Benjamin, Benjamin in Hebrew, uh, named after my uh, our common grandfather. So she would call B, B, 
B, B, come home. Uh. So he got the name, he got the name BB, and that name stuck, uh, even though uh, when he became uh, uh, one of Israel's first fighter pilots, uh, that name stuck and was handed down to me. He was the big BB, I was the little BB, uh, and uh, that's how I got the name. You ever been asked that? Oh, many times. Yes. Really? Yeah. Very fascinating. How is the security of Israel going? You're, you're, you're going to replace this new government. You've got a lot of challenges there. By that I mean you've got a lot going on in Iran right now. What does it look like from your perch? Look, I, I think 80% of our security problems emanate from Iran. Iran endangers not only Israel, which uh, to which uh, uh, it says openly it's committed to our destruction, and it seeks to develop uh, nuclear weapons to that effect which are also going to be directed at you because they chant death to Israel, death to America. And they're building ballistic missiles, intercontinental ballistic missiles, if they have their way, to reach every American city with their nuclear warheads. Not a good idea. So it is in our common interest to prevent Iran, this uh, theological thuggery, you know, these thugs, uh, to get the weapons to uh, threaten our survival. Uh, but I think what is new, and I've devoted a good chunk of my life, and I describe it in the book in some detail. Can't describe everything. I describe one very daring Mossad operation in which I sent our, our people to the heart of Tehran to capture and bring back to Israel uh, a trove of oh, we remember. Uh, documents and this yeah. from uh, Iran's secret atomic archive. They got out. I mean, I, I always say it's Argo on steroids because they the Iranians gave chase to them, thousands of security and police personnel chasing these few brave men, and they made it out, brought the stuff back, and we could conclusively show that Iran was lying to its teeth when it said it wasn't trying to develop nuclear weapons. So uh, it is our common interest to prevent Iran from getting that, and I uh, don't describe many other things that we did, but I did devote my life not only for the operational impairment of Iran's nuclear programs, but also for it's political impairment, and I had to at times confront um, uh, the American administration, specifically President Obama, whom I respected but fundamentally disagreed with on this issue, which I thought threatens the life of Israel. Uh, that will continue to be my goal with the, the current administration, because I think that that threat has not changed at all. In fact, if you sign a nuclear deal, you're just going to pave Iran's path with gold. Uh, to a nuclear arsenal and to much more aggression. They don't give the money for hospitals or, uh, you know, or, yeah. uh, schools to their people. They just uh, export terrorism and try to build nuclear weapons. Uh, so that remains the agenda. But I think something new has happened. And what has happened because of the brave men and extraordinarily brave women of Iran, that now the entire world sees what, uh, what a horrible regime this is, how cruel and how much it subjugates its citizens who just yearn and pray for for the, the basic human rights that we in the West enjoy. So I, I think that affords new possibilities. And of course, I look forward to discussing it with uh, President Biden, frankly, also with my own staff here, because I think uh, I think this is a new chapter. And by the way, this is this will also be a new the opening chapter of my next book. So wait, wait for that. <laughs> Very good. Has uh, Joe Biden called you yet? Oh, yes, sure. sure. He called me a few days ago, congratulated me. We've known each other for 40 years. We've sometimes disagreed, but we've always had a, 
a very warm friendship, and it's real. It's not, and it's not fake. How about any communication with the Saudi government? Have they contacted you at all? Are you contacted them? Well, I've received uh, um, congratulations from the United Arab Emirates, from uh, Bahrain, from Sudan just now, from uh, Jordan. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure the Saudis will uh, um, communicate it when it's comfortable for them publicly. Do you think uh, you can make some advances with that uh, monarchy there? Well, it would be a tremendous advance. Uh, it would be more than just a continuation uh, uh, the historic Abraham Accords in which we signed four historic peace agreements with four Arab states um, and uh, it, it will be a quantum leap because Saudi Arabia is such an important country and it would in my judgment mark frankly the end of the Arab-Israeli conflict you're still going to get the Palestinians who are about 1-2% to 2 of the Arab world trying to wag uh, you know, the entire body uh, the tail trying to wag the entire body but in fact, it'll work the other way around. Once we have this general peace with the Arab states, I think it will pave the way for a more realistic uh, approach, I hope, among the Palestinians who don't want peace with Israel, they want a peace without Israel. They'll see how strong, permanent, and durable uh, Israel is in the Middle East with peace with all of their brethren, except they who are holding out for the fantasy that they'll drive us into the sea. Well, it ain't going to happen. And we're going to make sure that they see that it's not going to happen. You're in a tough situation, I want the American people to know, with, with Russia. In other words, in order to have uh, freedom of the air over Syria, which is a uh, client state in many ways of Iran and Russia, um, you don't want to get into these dogfights with the Russian Air Force, which is there. On the other hand, you see what they're doing to Ukraine. You're in a tough position there, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, you, you want to live in the Middle East, you have to be tough, <laughs> in tough positions, and smart. Uh, so, uh, you know, once I get into office, I'll look into that and see what's the best way to proceed. Uh, but look, if there's anything that I can do to bring an end to this horrible tragedy in the Ukraine, then I'll, I'll do whatever I can, because I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that is required not merely for... Uh, a humanitarian concern, but also because this conflict could unravel in ways that could jeopardize the peace of the world. You, uh, you seem very comfortable. You seem very relaxed. When I saw you on television, you lost a lot of weight. What are you, what are you feeling personally? You're feeling pretty good. Oh, yeah. First of all, I'm very grateful to my uh, political opponents who... Uh, who um, formed a government and kicked me out because it gave me a year to write my book. And you know, having written <laughs> quite a few books yourself, that's just impossible to do when you're in office. So I would have never written this book if had I stayed in office. And I got that uh, off my chest, and I enjoyed writing it because it's, uh, it's a different kind of writing experience. It's, you're, you're writing a story. You're writing a narrative with a lot of dialogue, and it's a lot of fun and a lot of twists and turns. And a lot of uh, hair-raising episode. I nearly died several times in my military uh, uh, service as a special forces operator behind enemy lines. Nearly drowned in the Suez Canal. Was shot while rescuing hostages from a hijacked plane. Uh, nearly ran with my Jeep into a phantom jet taking off, like in the movies, which is just like that. And, uh, and a few other things. So I survived that. 
And I, um, I was supposed to be dead twice politically and came back from the dead twice. Something that somebody uh, inserted a note for me didn't happen uh, in the last three quarters of a century anywhere in the democratic world. Nobody came back twice. A lot of people came back, not a lot, but a few, like Churchill came back once. But you don't come back from political death twice after you served in the top office. So uh, I've had an eventful life. It's a life of purpose. If you're interested in infusing your life with a life of, with purpose, then you might glean some interesting and valuable insights uh, from my experience. But uh, I, I would say that uh, on the whole, the, uh, the thing that informed my life was a mission. And the mission is the one I inherited from my family, from my grandfather, from my father, and from my brother, to do everything I can to make sure that the rebirth of Israel, the rise of Israel after centuries of pogroms, massacres, uh, mass murder, the Holocaust, the remarkable return of the Jews to the political stage, to life, after the third of our people were uh, annihilated uh, by the Nazis. This is, uh, this is the, you know, the, the, the realization of the biblical prophecy of the ingathering of the exiles and the rebirth of Israel. Uh, this, is, this is a parable, I believe, for all humanity, because if we can overcome the greatest odds in history, then there's hope for everyone. And I, I, I really believe in that. It's infused my life with, uh, with purpose, as I said, and with fortitude. You need a lot of fortitude in Israeli politics, uh, but you need a lot of fortitude in life in general. And, and readers, I think, can find fortitude for themselves in this book. Well, you've had a fabulous life, and it's uh, really got a lot left to it. You're going to be the new Prime Minister of Israel. The book is absolutely terrific. It reads beautifully. Lots of fantastic new information. BB, my story. You can get it at Amazon.com. I will have it on all my platforms. And we wish you all the best, Mr. Prime Minister. God bless you, sir. God bless you, Mark. God bless America. It's a great country, our best ally. And Israel Amen. is America's best ally. Amen. Take care, sir. Thank you. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Chris Christie about the Trump. We're tired of Trump dragging us to lose because of his personal vanity. Now, that's pretty precious coming from Christie, another one who didn't help anybody. My buddy Mark Thiessen on Fox, anti-Trump. My buddy Hume, anti-Trump. And by the way, that's fine by me. But at least acknowledge that we're having a problem with McConnell and the Republican establishment that you guys just are blindlessly, blindly, I should say, blindly endorsing. It's ridiculous. It's an important debate we're having openly. That's what we do on the conservative and Republican side. It's very, very important. I'm going to continue to engage in this debate. The more, the better. Thanks, America. And I'll see you tomorrow, hopefully. Have a good night.